Good morning, everybody. How many of you were nervous when you saw the lights flickering on and off? Perhaps some of you were scarred by a recent experience that you had. It is my understanding, of course, I was out of town. I had to make a quick trip to uh, Stockholm. I left uh, Sunday morning, got back Thursday. And I understand that uh, as of Wednesday night, some of us were without power. How many of you were without power for at least some amount of time? How many of you are still without power? Wow. I heard that um, several people uh, got their power back on this morning. But uh, evidently, there's uh, others of us that uh, we need to pray about and uh, pray for. Yeah, I'm glad that your, uh, your power is, uh, is back on. If it is, we actually uh, never lost our power. And uh, it was uh, very interesting in uh, La Cunada, where I live, in the past when we've had these power outages, it seemed like our street and our side of the street was the only people that lost power. But this time, God turned it all around, and our side of the street was the only one who did have power. The other people uh, did not. However, I, uh, I, was, uh, I did uh, suffer uh, greatly. I was without Internet. Yes, for, uh, for several days. Uh, you know, you never know how much you're depending on the, the Internet until you don't have it. I mean, I was running back and forth to Starbucks three, four times a day, you know, trying to get on my wireless connection and, uh, you know, just uh, find out what was going on, Eric, trying to figure out what was going on. And, of course, the good news, how many of you were without television? You're, you lost your, uh, your cable TV? That's really hard, isn't it? I mean, how many of you, I mean, let's take a vote here. If you had to choose between losing power or being able to, or losing television, which one would you choose? Yeah, we uh, we had our power, and we we have uh, we had Direct TV. So uh, all of my neighbors, though, they had Charter cable. They were going without for several days, but uh, that's uh, that's what happens. You know, it's very interesting living in Southern California, isn't it? We've been here, uh, Mary Kay and I, about uh, let's see, 22 years, going on 23 years. And, uh, you know, it's such a beautiful place. Uh, but I have to say, it's unlike any other place I've ever lived. I've lived a few other places. I mean, here, you know, I, I lived a long time, Marcel, in other places. Yeah, I did. Never experienced an earthquake. Never experienced a firestorm. Never experienced floods, mudslides, and now windstorms. Actually, those aren't the first ones, aren't they? You know, I, I got to tell you this. Before I moved to Southern California, I had never even heard of a Santa Ana wind. There's a whole bunch of people in the rest of the country that have no idea. And they watch us on the news, and they're amazed. And they say, we don't ever want to move there. We saw you on the news. And we say, we're happy you don't want to move here because there's plenty of people here already. But anyway, 
Anyway, uh, good to be back. Good that uh, we're mostly back to normal. Now, have you noticed that uh, we have closed the curtains over here? We usually leave them cracked a little bit, but just so be aware, in case you hear them, our uh, wonderful children are out in the courtyard. Your children are out in the courtyard, and they're practicing for next Sunday's children's program. So they may be uh, singing their songs and such, so we may hear them. Uh, by the way, it is exciting this time of year, isn't it? Yeah. We're going to get to the Bible eventually, Rob. Um, if you want to turn over to Matthew 7, we're going to get there. But um, it is a very exciting time of the year. We traditionally in the church here, the first Sunday we have the toy drive in December. And then the second Sunday is the children's program. And then the third Sunday before Christmas is the music, special Christmas music program. And it's all good. But uh, I know, because uh, I used to have small children, all of you parents of small children are very nervous right now. If you're not, you should be. Because next Sunday, we're going to find out what kind of parent you really are. We're all going to be in the auditorium, and they're all, all of your parenting is going to be on display. We're going to watch those children. We're going to see if your children, we're going to see if they know the song. We're going to see if they're paying any attention at all. We're going to see if they're obedient and well-behaved. And I want you to know, in the spirit of the Sermon on the Mount, we're all going to be judging you. I say that now because my parents, my, uh, my time with the small children has come and gone. So uh, now I am in position to be able to judge all the rest of you. So I will look forward to that. But it is a, uh, it is a great Sunday. Uh, we will all look forward to that. Matthew chapter 7. Thank you, uh, Marcel, for uh, preaching last week. Today is the last sermon the last message in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Yes. I know you're wishing it could go on. We're already making plans for our uh, next sermon series that we will begin in January. Not going to mention that now, no. We already did three years on Hebrews, Eric. You, you just think it's time to go over it again. We need another... No, three years on Hebrews, it made a mark on you, didn't it? Your life will never be the same. That's what I'm here for. The Sermon on the Mount has been called the, uh, the greatest sermon ever preached. It's from the uh, beginning of Jesus' public ministry. It's recorded in chapters 5, 6, and 7. We have gone through it uh, verse by verse, section by section, and now we come to the very end. It's been a, uh, a journey that we've shared together. I know I have uh, learned much, even though I have read the Sermon on the Mount before, preached on it, studied it before. Uh, I have, feel like I've been blessed by things that I have learned and seen this time around that um, I have not before. Let me just remind you of some of the things that we have learned as we come to the end of the Sermon on the Mount's. The followers of Jesus are to be humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit, to be broken, 
about their sin and their need for God. The followers of Jesus are to passionately desire perfection. Even though we never achieve perfection, we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Our aim should be clear. Our goal we should be serious about. The followers of Jesus will impact a lost world. Light of the world, salt of the earth. The followers of Jesus will renounce anger and lust and take those sins seriously in their life. The followers of Jesus will love even their enemies. The disciples of Jesus are set free to live for the approval of God alone, no longer living for the approval of others. The followers of Jesus are no longer addicted to money. We help others with sin without having a judgmental attitude or a condemning spirit. Does that remind you of some of the things that we've talked about over the last year? Last week, Marcel, chapter 7, verses 13 through 23, talked about some of the more serious and sobering things that Jesus had to say about who's saved and who isn't. He mentions in here that the road to heaven is narrow, that only a few are going to be saved. He warns us that there's false teachers out there people that would lead us astray by their fruits, you will know them. And he very significantly says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Chapter 7, verse 21. And then he goes on to talk about some of the good things that might be in your life and still you might not be saved. All great movies, all great stories, all great songs have a great ending. And today we consider the ending that Jesus chose for this greatest of all sermons. So he says in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. Sounds like Southern California. (laughs) Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine does not put them into practice. It's like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose. Winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Jesus begins in verse 24, and he says, Therefore, because of all that I just got through saying that Marcel preached about last week, in love, warning us, wanting us to be saved, warning us of how we could potentially miss the salvation that we all desire. Therefore, he says, let me tell you one final story. Parable of the wise and foolish builder. 
simple story, yet with a profound spiritual message. Two men, two builders, similar in so many ways. They each were building a house. They each did build a house. And to just the human eye, probably nothing about those two houses looked any different. They were basically the same. We have a lot of that in Southern California, planned neighborhoods. You ever get confused when you go to some of the neighborhoods in Southern California because you can't tell that all the houses look alike? That happens a lot in this particular part of the world, particularly in the Inland Empire. Good thing we don't live there. <laughs> but you couldn't tell much difference in these two houses. They looked the same from the ground up. And in fact, for a period of time, you couldn't tell any difference in the houses that these two different men built. We don't know how long it was, but as time went on and as life happens, there does come a storm. And then and only then do we see the difference. One man had not built on a solid foundation. He built on sand. But the other had been very careful and he had taken the time, the extra time and the money that he needed and he had planned ahead and he had prepared and he dug deep and he had chosen a foundation on the rock. And when the storm came, that foundation stood. It made all the difference. Yet Jesus very poignantly describes the other house and says it fell with a great crash. So the question is, what kind of house have you built? And what kind of house spiritually are you living in today? Jesus doesn't want us to miss the point. He says both these men were the same. They both had heard the same message. Many of you here today, some of you probably have heard every sermon preached on the Sermon on the Mount this year, or at least most of them, right? Maybe you know, I know been visiting for a while, we've heard the same message. Today you're going to hear the same message. But we're all going to walk out that door afterwards. And there will be differences between us. We won't necessarily all be the same. Now, nobody else may be able to see it. It may not be obvious to the human eye. It may not be obvious to each other. But there'll be a difference. There are those who will go out and put the message into practice that they have heard. And there will be others who will hear the message and they will not put it into practice. And there is all the difference. Both men heard, but only one put it into practice. Here's the main point today. Only obedience to the message of Jesus will give us an indestructible life and an eternal salvation. 
Do I need to repeat that again, Marcel? Only obedience to the message of Jesus will give us an indestructible life and an eternal salvation. Of course, there is this, the ultimate storm is judgment. And I believe that just like Jesus has been talking about, that's primarily what he's talking about is that last great storm of judgment. And we find out whether our house has stood the test or whether it's fallen with a great crash. But Jesus, again, the Lord loves us so much that he brings in storms along the way to show us where our foundation is. Don't you think we should be grateful for that? He doesn't want us to get to the day of judgment and for our house spiritually to fall with a great crash. And so life is full of storms. There are many storms. They're less serious and, and, and less, uh, you know, and more, more temporary, but they can show us our foundation and give us the opportunity to choose. Only obedience to the message of Jesus will give us an indestructible life and eternal salvation. Does this offend you? Does this surprise you? Probably if you've been a part of this church, it wouldn't surprise you, this message of Jesus. Actually, this is one of just many times that Jesus preached this message that the Bible records the message that obedience is not an option. But for many today, there are many churches today where this message is offensive. And you may be even here today and you may be concerned and upset and bothered by the idea that obedience is necessary for salvation. But clearly it seems that's what Jesus is saying. Certainly we're saved by faith. Certainly we need the grace of God. On the other hand, if our faith is not real enough to change our life and shape the way we live, then it's not biblical faith. It's not saving faith. There's a phrase that I heard coined that describes it and what so much of Protestant Christianity today can be described as they embrace the doctrine of easy believism. Which means that if I believe the right things, it doesn't really matter how I live my life. Does that look to you like what Jesus is saying there? Certainly we understand the need for grace. Notice we're called to obedience, not perfection. How many of you are thankful for that? It's not about perfection. In fact, one of the blessings of the Sermon on the Mount is if we have even a basic understanding of it, we're going to become convinced pretty soon and pretty early on that we are sinners in desperate need of God's grace. And so we're saved by grace, but it's, it's not a cheap grace. 
It's not a grace that some people in there sadly have been deceived into believing that, you know, grace means that it's just, it's sort of like I got my green card for sin. Or my license to sin. So now I could keep on living the way I want to live and I could sin, but I'm saved by grace, so it doesn't really matter. Does that look like that's what Jesus is saying here? Does this offend you? It's not about perfection, our obedience, but it's about a pattern of life. It's about a way of life that we must passionately embrace. How many of you guys like football? I'm concerned about the rest of you. No, I know that this is one of the problems. I'm sorry if you're one of these people that doesn't like football or get football. But, uh, you know, it's just me, and so here I am. Love me. Embrace me. Accept me. Do not be judgmental toward me. But it's like a football team. It's like for us as Christians, it's like we're all on the same team and we're working together and we're working hard and we're practicing and we're trying to accomplish the same goal. You know, football really is one of the things I like about it. You've got 11 guys on one side and you've got 11 guys on the other side. And you got one football, and it's sitting there, and everybody's just standing there, and they're, they're, they're motionless, right? 11 on one side, 11. And then they snap the ball, or they hike the ball, and the play starts, and then people just start going crazy. <laughs> I mean, you can't even, I mean, even if you slow it down and watch, you know, I'm so thankful now. I mean, who, who knew? You watch foot, do you ever watch football before there was slow motion? <laughs> I know you have. Oh, you have, Really? You don't look nearly that old, my man. But if you watch a game, that's one of the... Sometimes I don't even like... You know, it's exciting to be at the game, but if you're at the game, it's kind of like, what just happened? Because it happened so fast. It's over like that. And there's all these people moving and the ball's flying. Where, where did the ball... Why did the ball get over there? And now they got the big screens at the stadium, right? Yeah, that's good. We need that. But it is really crazy when you think about it that it's a wonder that anything ever good happens in a football play. Because there's 11 people that got to be doing the same thing with the same goal, working on the same objective, and everybody's got to know where they're going. And the defense is the same thing. And, of course, most of the time something goes wrong. Right? You ever seen a football game where they scored a touchdown on every play? Not even Oregon does that, (laughs) even though it seems like it. But, you know, these guys, I mean, we really, they work hard. They work all year round. They're serious about it. They got a bunch of plays. I mean, you know, and they almost, I mean, but it's a beautiful thing when they finally get it right. Right? I mean, that's true even if you are a UCLA fan, okay? It's... (laughs) Ugly murmur goes goes through the crowd. But it happens because 
When it does work, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing, but most of the time in football, most plays that a team runs are, many of them, maybe most of them, are failures. They don't accomplish the pers- purpose. They didn't get a touchdown. They, they may not even got a first down. Right? Am I, am I going too fast for you here? But it's the same way. See, in the same spirit as Christians, we, we fail often. We fail more than we think we do. That's why, we, that's why the very first thing Jesus said, what's the first thing you said in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble and the broken, the ones that realize they're failing constantly. Right? That's where we're supposed to be. If you don't realize that, you do not have your eyes open. On the other hand, it's not you just go, okay, well, you know, nobody's perfect, so what does it matter? No, I'm like that guy on that football team. I'm showing up for practice every day. I'm consumed. I'm passionate. I got the same goal. And even if we didn't achieve the goal on that play, we got another play. And even if we messed up that game, we got another game. And even if this year didn't work out for us, I'm speaking as a Tennessee volunteer fan, there's always next year. Even the Cubs have next year. Now I switched over to baseball on you there, right? We used to say the Cubs and the Red Sox, but then they won a few times. The Cubs still haven't won anything. But you know what? You've got to keep going out there. It's not about perfection. But it is about a serious, dedicated effort to adopt and embrace a way of life. And whenever I fall and when I see my sin and it's daily and it certainly is ongoing, I get up, I recommit myself to the goal. I am passionate and determined. I spend, I invest, I spend my energy, I give my heart, and I embrace this life. Only obedience to the message of Jesus will give us an indestructible life and eternal salvation. Easy believism, not in the Bible. Cheap grace, not in the Bible. Let me say it even a little more clear. What you believe will not save you unless you embrace a life of obedience. What you know will not save you unless you commit yourself to obedience to the gospel message. What you say will not save you unless there is a life that confirms what you say. We, Matthew 7, 21. Did you preach that last week, Marcel? Did you do a good job? You shouldn't really answer that question. That, that was a test. He did say he wasn't sure, so you know, we'll give him credit for humility. But a lot of other people seem to think he did a good job. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. 
That's exactly what Jesus says. Don't. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. How you feel about your spiritual life and about your relationship with God and Jesus doesn't necessarily mean you're saved, and it won't mean that you're saved if you're not living a life characterized by obedience. Where you attend church will not save you apart from a life characterized by obedience to the message of Jesus. How often you attend church will not guarantee your salvation. I don't care how many times you go. I don't care if you're here every time the door opens. If you're not living a life, a pattern of life that matches the gospel message, then you will not be saved. Being a leader won't save you. What about that, Marcel? That sounds like that's for me and you. Maybe our wives, too. We have others in this small group leaders and appreciate so much all that you do and all the ways that you serve and you're not paid. You know, I, I love our small group leaders. I love them so much that they will tell you I regularly in our meetings together, I regularly double their salaries. <laughs> About every three months, don't I, Kevin? Yeah. And so... Um, they're not paid anything, so you can just imagine how much that means to them. <laughs> but being a leader doesn't mean it's not the same thing, necessarily. Giving your money won't save you. Having a quiet time, a time in the Bible, and praying every day will not save you unless it is in the context of a life that is a characterized by a pattern of obedience to the message of Jesus. I entitled the sermon today. Did I give you the title yet? I did not give you the title. I did. What is the title, Mary Kane? What was it? You don't remember. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not doubting. I'm, I'm sure Mary Kay's right. What did I say? Oh, that's the main point. Do you have a guess, Eric? What kind of house are you building? That's a good question. The sermon title is "The Gospel According to Jesus." See, I didn't say that yet, did I? Is it just me or is it hot in here? It's getting hot. It's hot already and it's getting hotter. Okay. Well, I'm going to try to uh, I'm going to try to close out soon since it's so warm. Since it's hot and getting hotter. But I chose it the gospel according to Jesus because I actually borrowed that title. It's from a book by uh, John MacArthur. You ever heard of him? You ever heard of 
He's a prolific author. I've, I've really benefited a lot from uh, studying his commentaries and lessons he's given and books he's written and such. But uh, he has a book called The Gospel According to Jesus. And this book just shows chapter after chapter, example after example of scriptures that make it clear that you cannot be saved and you cannot be right with God and you cannot live an indestructible life without obedience. Regardless of the false doctrines of easy believism and cheap grace that are so prominent in our world. The storms of life, I'll just mention a couple other things. The storms of life are meant to show us our foundation. Have you figured out yet it's very easy to be deceived about where you are spiritually? Have you ever had an aha experience? Or a, or a shocking experience where you thought you were one place spiritually and then all of a sudden through whatever event or whatever scripture or whatever sermon uh, or something that somebody else shared with you or something that everybody else pointed out to you, you suddenly, your eyes were opened and you realized that your foundation was not what it should be and not what you thought it was. The storms of life are meant to show us our foundations. They are too many to even begin to mention all of them. Certainly there's health concerns, financial challenges, relationship issues, sin, enslavement or addiction to sin, all kinds of things that God can use and wants to use. But every time, we, every time we go through a storm of life, we can get a little idea of how solid our foundation really is. What have you learned about yourself even lately? Let other people help you with your foundation. You know, I guarantee you, this guy who built on sand... He did not get a lot of advice. What do you think? You know what? If he hired a contractor, and then I'm telling you, that contractor was just out to steal money from him. He wasn't really concerned. Because it's actually absurd. Of course, that's the reason Jesus told the story. It would be absurd for somebody to invest so much to build a house and build it on sand. That just would never happen. Yet it's so sad. And we, Jesus said, would say, are so foolish when we just build that house on sand, our spiritual life. Let other people help you. It's easy to be deceived. That's why you need to be have other Christians involved in your life. That's why in this church we have small groups. That's why in this church we have discipleship partners. That's why we have church meetings. That's why God had established the church. That's why we need to be open. That's why we need to be honest. That's why we need to be real. We need to be asking other people, encouraging other people to check out your foundation.
quick and easy way. Maybe the less expensive way is to build on sand. You know, one of the most sobering figures of the Bible, I believe, is Judas. Would you agree with that? What's remarkable to me about the story of Judas was that he was in this company of apostles, and there were 12 of them, and they basically lived together for three years, right? Traveling all around, preaching, teaching, serving, numerous D-groups. Jesus was a really good D-group leader. <laughs> Lots of opportunities to confess your sin. We were all the examples of Peter. Got to respect that guy. Just putting himself out there. You know, even James and John, thinking it was a good idea to call down fire from heaven. But you know, in all the Gospels, there's no indication that any other person, nobody else, saw what was really going on with Judas. Only the Lord saw. He was like that guy at the house. His house looked exactly the same from the ground up. Pretty scary, isn't it? Judas had the same opportunity to get the help that he needed. Peter, James, John, all the rest of the guys had. Right? I mean, Jesus was even helping out the parents or the mother. Remember James and John's mother? Wanted them to sit the right hand, the left hand. You know, that wasn't a very spiritual thing that she did. But you know, you got to appreciate the fact that she was, she just put it out there. She was real. This is what I want. Jesus, this is what I want for my boys. All the parents know what I'm talking about. This is what I want for my boys. You know, what I want, I don't, it's not good enough, you know, that they're in the, even apostles, you know, what we really need, the, you know, the Zebedee family is, has a rich tradition of greatness. <laughs> and, you know, what we need is we need one on the right and we need the other one on the left. And everybody else needs to be branching out from them in some way. Right? See, Jesus can deal with that. Jesus can deal with your stuff. Have you figured out how messed up you are yet? I get a lesson in that every day. Don't I? Don't you? Jesus can deal with all of our stuff. But you know what he can't deal with? He can't help anybody who's closed off. If you're like Judas, you're not open, you're not real, you're not honest, you don't talk about your sin. You don't talk about your temptation. You know what I think about Judas? I think his house fell with a great crash. I think in a matter of days, days, Judas went from being a respected member of the 12 apostles to dying suicidally by his own hand. 
Let somebody else take a look at your foundation. And the last thing I'll mention is that our obedience must be complete. Did I say our obedience must be perfect? Did I say that? Marie thought that was funny. I didn't say that, did I, Marie? Thank you for laughing. I've mentioned that before. It's not about perfection. But what I mean by that is if we're going to be living an indestructible life and we're going to make it to heaven, there can be no, not even one area of our life that we stubbornly refuse to hand over to the way of Jesus. It's not good enough. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and do many wonderful works? Our obedience must be complete. Do you believe that? Even one area of your life where you determine not to be obedient can keep you out of heaven. Do you believe that? Can you think of an example? Thank you, Marcel. How about the rich young ruler? Mark 10. Other stories. What did Jesus tell him? One thing you lack. Go give everything you have to the poor. That was the one thing he lacked. He still, Jesus tried to help us out with the sermon. He was still addicted to money. Jesus tried to help him break his addiction to money. One thing you lack, then you'll have treasure in heaven. Our obedience must be complete. Not perfection. Did I say perfection? Not perfect. Lord, help us if it requires perfection. But there can be no part of this message and no part of the Bible message that we reject, that we consider to be unimportant or insignificant. We've got to embrace it all. The humility, the meekness, the hungering and thirsting for righteousness, the willingness to be persecuted, the determination to impact a lost world, to deal with our anger, to deal with our lust, to love our spouse and be faithful into death, to tell the truth, to not retaliate when people sin against us in or out of the church, to love even our enemies, to live for the approval of God alone. Not relying on money, trusting God, committing our way to Him, seeking first the kingdom in all circumstances, not judging or condemning others, asking, seeking, praying, not doing to others the way they've done to us, but doing the way we want them to do to us.
the way we would have them to do to us. And everything else that that encompasses. So Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Let us be full of wisdom, and here comes something. We collected 679 toys today. That's fantastic. And imagine how many more, except for all those of you who forgot your toys and left them at home. Just helping you to be humble and broken. But let's... um, Let's joyfully embrace, certainly with grace and faith, the salvation that comes by a serious, a serious focus to embrace not just a few things or good things, but the whole lifestyle of Jesus. To be able to never be perfect or far from it, but to be true followers of Jesus. Let's bow and let's pray together. God, thanks for your word. Thanks for this wonderful sermon. Thanks for all the lessons we've learned. Certainly, God, we want to be not just hearers, but doers also. And help each one of us to see if in any way we are, uh, have built poorly here, that we would have the right foundation and that we would live a life that would uh, embrace the calling we've received. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.